This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Good morning, church. Today's reading of God's Word uh, comes from 2 Kings, beginning in verse 15. Here we read, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him, till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent before, or excuse me, they sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while the what they came back to him. Uh, while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we could gather together uh, as your people this morning in this place. Father, to sit under both the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, each one of us individually come in with different uh, weights upon us, uh, be it returning to school, uh, for some of us maybe it's returning to work as the school season is getting ready to kick off. Um, many people are dealing with uh, various ailments, uh, could be financial stress, whatever those things are that we are bringing in today. Lord, help us to lay them down at your feet, to trust that your word this morning will minister to us. I pray against the distractions that uh, will try to cause us to turn away from you and turn to the things of this world, but Lord, that you would soften our hearts and give us minds to understand your word as it's preached. And as our pastor comes and shares the word with us and ministers to us, I pray, Father, that your hand would be upon him, as I know it has been all week as Pastor Aaron has been preparing this sermon for us, I pray, Father, that you would use him to minister to us this morning. 
and that we might be uh, gaining in our understanding of you and that it might minister to us in these coming days. I pray that he would say nothing more or less than you've given him this morning and that it would bless our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning, First Prez. It's a blessing to be with you. Um, we just got word this morning that our dear sister Nancy Begaman went home to be with the Lord. So we want to um, have Tom in our minds and the family there. We want to just take a moment and pray for Tom and his family as they, um, as they are dealing with the loss of Nancy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and just specifically with this news that we received of, of Nancy. I thank you, Lord, for their strong marriage and her strong faith. I thank you, Lord, for her obedience to you in every way, Lord, as you worked in her and strengthened her and guided her. Lord, I know she was a blessing to me personally just in her faith and her walk and her trust of you. Lord, I pray right now for Tom that you would bless him, strengthen him. I pray for the entire family, Lord, as they mourn the loss of their mom, uh, their wife, uh, their Sister, Lord, there, there are many relationships there that are affected by this loss. And so, God, we just, we just ask you to go and to minister and to care for, Lord, even ways that we're not even privy to. But, Lord, I pray that we as your church would be your hands and feet, that we would love this family well, and that you would guide us, Lord, in, in directing us how we can care for them. We know, Lord, that you will do above and beyond whatever we could ask or pray. And so, Lord, we just pray now in Jesus' name. God's people said... Mom. So we look at our text this morning, I just wanted to ask you to think of your very first job. What was your first job? And I want you to think about the job you have now. What's the similarity between that first job and the very, the very job you have now? I, I hope that the similarity is that at least in both you receive some sort of training, right? Because starting a new job always requires some type of training. I remember my first job, it was a, a busboy at Denny's, and uh, our family happened to go there quite a bit, and so my mom and dad kind of uh, encouraged me to, uh, to speak to one of the uh, waitresses about a job, and sure enough, they, they had an opening, they needed some busboys, and so I, I started there, and I had no idea what to expect, but I'll tell you this, I surely did not expect what happened the first day I showed up. They put me in a room with a TV, they, and they had me watch films. I watched films about safety, about, about how slippery floors can be when they're left wet, right? And the importance of putting on a, a sign that says, slippery, right? Uh, I, was, I, was, I watched films on the importance of what chemicals to mix together and how much to use. I, I, I watched videos on the fact that the stove or the oven is hot. All sorts of important things that you need to know as a, as a busboy, but you know, it was like right out of there that the next phase of my training began, and that was side-by-side -side work. That side-by-side -side work meant that I was to mirror someone or follow them around. And it depended on what you were being trained for, but oftentimes we see that when the waitress comes over and she says so everly pleasantly, oh, this is my trainee, right? She's basically going to mess up your order. Right? She's kind of giving you the warning that, hey, this person is in training and I'm there to mirror me and I'm supposed to give them tasks to do and this probably isn't going to go real well. And as you, as you approach that, you realize that there's these levels of training, watching films and then side by side, and eventually you get cut loose. 
and you're there on your own. You're, you're moving into the real life of on-the-job training. And that's exciting until you start panicking because now it all depends on you. Well, that's the current situation of the servant of God, Elisha. If you remember over the many several weeks, we've been studying Elijah, and he was given a protege by the name of Elisha. And this man, Elisha, was, his job was to watch as Elijah worked. And, and eventually we came to a text where we saw them side by side, and they made a tour. They, they just finished their tour of those prophet schools in Bethel and Jericho and any, in an area near the Jordan. And, and then as they were there, there was a teaching that was taking place. Elisha had watched as Elijah had used his cloak to divide the Jordan. Elisha had watched as Elijah was taken up into heaven. And now, according to verse 14, Elisha picks up that cloak of Elijah. Listen to what verse 14 says. Then Elisha took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the waters parted to one side and to the other And Elisha went over. This is an important passage in the sense that we see Elisha doing the very same miracle that Elijah had done. The torch had been passed. Clearly, we see that Elijah is now starting his job, the -the on-the-job training as the prophet of God. He's picking up where Elijah had left off. There's three things that we see about this on-the-job training. Three things I want to bring to your attention. Number one is Elisha, the prophet of God, the servant of God, is called to faithfulness to the word. Second is that he needs to be ready to act out in faith. And third and finally, he needs to expect persecution. So let's begin our journey with Elisha. We're told that Elisha was there and he was in verse 15. Let's read it. It says, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. They see this. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there is with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. And they sent him fifty men. For three days they sought him but did not find him. And when they came back to him while he was standing at Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? This school of prophets knew clearly the word of the Lord. This school of prophets knew clearly that the Lord was going to take Elijah from Elijah. In fact, they told Elisha this in verse 3 and in verse 5 of the same chapter. And yet here we see that these prophets who knew that God was going to take Elijah from Elisha up to heaven to be with him, that they are beginning to have their own concerns, their own, their own thoughts, their own wondering of what really happened to Elijah. And so they begin to put pressure on Elijah. They begin to ask him to send out 50 men, these athletic men, these strong men, to go and search 
for the prophet of the Lord. Friends, what we need to see in that text is their lack of faith. What we need to see is that, that they are not trusting the very word of God which they spoke to the prophet of God. They told Elijah, God is going to take your master from you. But here they are doubting, wondering, isn't it curious? Aren't you a little curious, Elijah, what happened? See, we live in a time when most people dismiss the word of God. We live in a time when many question it or just downright ignore God's word. The problem, though, isn't just out there. The problem is inside the church as well. The problem is that many put their feelings over facts. Many people put their feelings over facts. Friends, this isn't something new. In fact, the Apostle Paul told his young protege, Timothy, this in 2 Timothy 4. Listen to what he said. For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Their passions, their desires, their longings their emotions. See, each man of God will be tested regarding his faithfulness to God's word. In these schools of prophets, they were being tested there while they're in seminary. But they're doubting, they're wondering. Their curiosity gets the best of them. What's amazing is that these are the very individuals that responded in praise when they saw Elisha cross the parted Jordan. In verse 15, it says, Now the sons of prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, and they said, Listen, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They knew that God had taken Elijah. They knew that now Elisha was supposed to be the man of God. Yet they still desired more, didn't they? They still desired more. They they were desiring to seek what came of Elijah. So according to verse 16, they asked, let us go and seek your master. Maybe the spirit of the Lord just just caught him up and, and put him somewhere. Maybe he's on a mountain or he's in a valley. Maybe Elijah needs our help. They kept urging. They kept pushing. And at first we see Elijah respond in verse 16 where he says very clearly, you shall not send. You're not going. You're not doing this. We know what God's word says. We're the people of God. We've been given the word of God. We're not to doubt his word. You don't need to go. You can hear the line of reasoning. But they urged. Verse 17 says, they urged till he was ashamed. Friends, think about that for a moment. These, the prophets are urging the man of God till he was ashamed. Let me say it a different way. They kept badgering him until he relented. They were unrelenting in their badgering. Don't you care about your master? What if he's stranded somewhere far away and he needs a ride back? Don't you care about him? Don't you wonder what's up with him? Where is your love for him? You can imagine the pushing, the prodding, challenging. You can see the emotions and the urgency of these prophets take over as they desperately wanted to see what happened. They were more curious about the what if than the word of God. Friends, they were willing to ignore what God had already told them. 
So Elisha gives in. He says, send the 50 men. Commentators wrestle with that. Was Elisha just going along with it so that ultimately he could prove that that God had really taken Elijah to strengthen the faith of these young prophets? Maybe. Or was Elisha weak and giving in? Was Elijah at a place where he was showing himself to give in to the peer pressure of life? The truth of the matter is every person in this room understands what it is to give in to peer pressure. We've all done it. And most of us, when we've done it, we've been ashamed by it. Understand how dangerous it truly is to give in to peer pressure for the servant of God. Here's why. Because rather than seeking the glory of God, which should be first and foremost in their life, they're now seeking the glory and acceptance of men. Do you see the contrast? The prophet of God, the man of God, the servant of God is set apart for the glory of God. And now rather than living for the glory of God, they're serving themselves. You see this in Elijah. So he sends the men away. For three days, 50 of the most athletic men you can imagine sought for Elijah, running from hill to hill, valley to valley in the search of the prophet of God. But the text tells us, and we're not surprised, they didn't find him. When they came back empty-handed, Elijah said in verse 18, did I not tell you not to go? Did I not tell you not to go? Church, sometimes we are surrounded by those who know the truth but choose not to believe it. That can be in our own homes. That can be in our own uh, Bible classes. It can be in our own fellowship groups. We can be surrounded by those who know the truth but choose not to believe it. These prophets knew Elijah was being taken away up to heaven with God. They stated it to Elijah themselves. They had seen what Elijah had done. In parting the waters, they celebrated the fact that the, the spirit of Elijah now rested upon Elisha. And yet they doubted. Friends, if we're not careful, we too can fall prey to testing God's word. We too, each one of us, can fall prey to testing God's word. As a servant of God, we must always be seeking to remain faithful to God's word first and foremost. For as Jesus was faithful, even in the face of death, so we must be faithful by his power. We have been entrusted with the Holy Spirit who enables us to be faithful. So I ask you this morning, are you as the servants of God remaining faithful? Are you remaining faithful even in the face of resistance and pressure from those who are choosing to test God's word? Let me tell you, we live in a day and age in which the word of God is being tested Are you remaining faithful? The story of Elisha continues. Elisha now enters a beautiful city of Jericho. And this city of Jericho was a pleasant place. In fact, many describe it as an oasis located just a few miles from the Dead Sea. Jericho was a beautiful city, but it had a major problem. The beautiful city was a place of death. According to verse 19, it says, the water was bad and the land was unfruitful. 
Friends, isn't that like life? Many things look wonderful on the outside but are dying on the inside. This story of the water problem reminds me of a city here in Michigan. The city is Flint. In in its heyday, it was a beautiful city. In its heyday, there were factories and they were producing cars and wonderful things were coming out of Flint. It was a place to be. But back in April of 2014, in an effort to save money, Flint began drawing water from the Flint River for its 100,000 residents. These residents immediately began to complain that the water smelled, the water tasted funny, and its appearance didn't look right. Soon reports came rushing in of rashes and hair loss and other problems. By September of 2015, a group of doctors had finally stepped in and urged the city of Flint to stop using the Flint River after finding high levels of lead in the children's blood. Yet it was insisted by the city officials, the water's safe. There's no problem here. Everything's good. How often is it that many things can look wonderful on the outside, but they're actually dying on the inside? That's the tendency of our culture. Our culture so often says to only be concerned by what you see. That's the problem, isn't it? It's a problem that when we're making our judgments, we're often only judging what is outside. When's the last time you've gone on Facebook and read of somebody's marital problem? When's the last time you've gone on Facebook and read of somebody's failure with a temptation? No, what's often on Facebook is how great everything is. And so we begin to believe the superficial without ever diving into what's really going on into the lives of the people we know. Tendency of our culture is to only be concerned with outside appearances. And yet we must remember there is more to people than what we can simply see. Amen? There is truly more to people than what we can simply see. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord speaks to the prophet as he reminds him man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In John chapter 7, Jesus warns, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Friends, I want to draw your attention to the citizens of this city. The citizens of this city were forthright. The citizens of this city of Jericho, they admitted admitted their need for help. The citizens of the city of Jericho came to the man of God and said, we're in trouble. Friends, that is a warning to all of us, a reminder to each of us that we have a responsibility to speak up when we are struggling because the appearances of the beautiful city can oftentimes cause a facade. But when we are struggling, it is is paramount that we come forward and speak the truth. And that's what we see in these citizens. They came forward. They knew without the help of God, death would have its way. The truth of the matter is that there is no hope without God. Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus has come to give that rest, but the requirement is that we admit our need. 
Look what happened immediately when they did admit their need. Elijah immediately springs into action. Elisha gets involved. In verse 20, he says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. He takes their problem and he makes it his problem. Notice he doesn't simply say, I'll pray for you, see you later. He actually gets involved in the mess of the city. Francis Schaeffer has rightly said, if we don't show the love to one another, the world has a right to ask if Christianity is even true. If we do not show love to one another, the world has a right to ask, is Christianity even true? We're told in the book of James to be doers of the word and not mere hearers. We have a responsibility to roll up our sleeves and to love one another, to get involved in each other's lives, not just to simply accept the facade that's on Facebook, but to recognize that others are suffering and in need. And when we do ask, do you need help? And they respond, yes. We have a responsibility to get involved. And Elijah said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And they brought him that bowl, new bowl, bowl, and they put salt in it. And he went to the spring and he threw the salt in the water. Elisha didn't simply say, I'll pray for you. He sprang into action. He acted in faith, trusting God. Watch what he says in verse 21. Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. God uses visible signs. God uses means. He uses visible signs of his spoken word to bring about the glory of his name. As one man has said, God's word through God's servant brings God glory. Isn't that why God chooses to use the foolishness of preaching? It's not because of the preacher. It's because God chooses to use it. The means of grace that God chooses to use is the way in which God chooses to have his word declared through a means that you can see. But God is the one who gets the glory, not Elijah. Through the visible signs of a bowl and some salt that's poured into the water, everything changes for these people. In verse 22, the reader is told that the water has been healed Even to this day, even to this day, friends, don't miss that. Do you know what that text is telling us? It's telling us God restores, and when he restores, he restores completely. Praise God. Because when God restores, he restores completely. Friends, all miracles in the Bible are a picture of the future redemption of Christ. Every time you see a miracle in the Old Testament, it's a prefiguring of the ultimate redemption we have because we need to understand that the miracles are pictures of that future redemption. They're pointing us to what will be the hope we have. And so as Elijah was thrust into people's bad situations, he didn't run from it. He didn't simply say, I'll remember you in my prayers. No, he actually got involved He acted in faith. Friends, because things are not pretty as they seem, the truth is that people are hurting all around us. 
People in our homes are hurting. People in our neighborhoods are hurting. People in your church are hurting. And you have a responsibility to get involved in their lives, to care for them, to love them, to be doers of the word and not mere hearers only. As the servants of Christ, I ask you, are you looking past the outer appearances into the needs of those around you? Are you willing to step out in faith to help others? That's what we've been called to do. And finally, we see Elijah as he enters Bethel. And as he enters, we're told something pretty pretty astounding. Elisha is walking up a hill and he's approached by a whole group of rude boys. The depiction here is probably between the ages of 10 and 12. And as he's walking up the hill, they begin attacking him, crying out, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Now, I'll tell you, as a bald man myself, I take offense to this. Amen? But you need to understand something, that what they're really saying is get away from here. Why don't you go up like Elijah did? Why don't you leave this place? Get out of here. We don't want you here. And as further insult, they make fun of his physical features. They mock him. Friends, let me say this. There is nothing worse a believer can do than to mock somebody else. There's nothing worse a believer can do than to mock someone else, someone else who's made in the image of God. We see this disobedient group of rude boys, ages 10 to 12, mocking this Prophet of God. Where did this come from? You need to understand Bethel's history. Bethel has a long history of mocking God. There was one by the name of Heel. He was of Bethel, and he mocked God by fortifying the city that God had cursed. You can read about that in 1 Kings 16. Or how about the fact that the citizens of that very city of Bethel mocked God by creating two golden calves and claiming that it was those golden calves that delivered them from Egypt. You can read about that in 1 Kings 12. This city of Bethel had lived in the idea of mocking God. Should we be surprised then that their children mocked the men of God? No. See, the posture of mocking God is the universal language of the ungodly. Friends, hear me on that. The posture of mocking God is the universal language of the ungodly. You read about it in places like Psalm 1 or Proverbs 1. We should not be surprised by the actions of these children, for they have grown up in a society that mocks God. How much more today? And how does Elisha respond? According to verse 24, he turns back and he curses them in the name of the Lord. Before you judge him too harshly, you need to understand that here he is acting not in an uncontrolled way, but in a very controlled way. The cursing here is not just merely out of emotion like those prophets that we were talking about. This reaction was a response to the glory of God. Notice that he cursed them in the name of the Lord. By his reaction, he was being directed by God 
As the man of God, a prophet of God, he's speaking for God. And he's speaking the very promises of God back upon these children. What promise is he reiterating? Well, it goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. A promise made to our father Abraham, where God the Father said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will what? I will curse those who curse you. Friends, there's a clear reminder here for all of us that we better be about the business of blessing and not cursing. What was the result of this cursing? Two she-bears, were told, come out of the woods and tear to pieces 42 boys. As you see, this is no small group. This isn't little rascals gang hanging out in the neighborhood. This was a group of irreligious children mocking the man of God and two she-bears come out of the woods and tear 42 of them to pieces. That's a sad day because 42 households were affected by the loss of children. But I want you to be clear about something. This attack was a sign of God's covenantal promise of judgment. This attack was a sign of God's covenantal promise of judgment. Here are the words of Leviticus 26, verse 22. And I will let loose the wild beast against you, which you shall bereave of your children, and they shall destroy your livestock, and they shall make you few in number, so that your roads will be deserted. Do you hear the attack? Do you hear the judgment? Do you understand that what was taking place is exactly what God promised for the disobedient? Friends, each of us in this room need to hear this lesson well. We need to understand that God will not be mocked. We need to understand clearly that God takes seriously his name. The good news is, as we put ourselves in the shoes of Elisha, we're reminded that we need not fight our own battles. For as he said in Exodus chapter 14, the Lord said, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. What good news that is for the people of God as we live in a culture that is constantly pushing in on us. Friends, as you look at these stories, you see very clearly two things. You see the miracle of the water as it points to the restoration of the last day. And you see here the story of the boys and the she-bears as it points to the final judgment on the last day. Both are pictures of Christ's victory. Those whom he redeems and those whom he judges. The question is, which are you? Friends, as servants of God, we must expect rejection. We must expect persecution. All of life is a lesson and we must be prepared. As a servants of God, I ask you, are you trusting in your Savior's protection, even in the face of rejection and persecution in this world? Or do you constantly feel the need to defend and protect yourself? May our confidence be in the Lord. Church, there is much we can learn from this young prophet. 
We can learn as the servants of God that we must always stick to the word of God regardless of feelings or pressures from others. As the servants of God, we must remember that we have been given opportunities to step out in faith and act and care for others. And finally, as the servants of God, we should expect ridicule and persecution because we live in an evil, fallen world. Yet we can be assured that God is our protector. Amen. Amen. We can be assured. Church, I leave you with this promise that Jesus made. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take the truths of this word, as it speaks to our lives, as we realize where we live now, may we see the attack upon your word. And Lord, may we not give in to the pressure. May we not allow our emotions to overrule your word. God, I pray that we would be doers of your word and not mere hearers. I pray that we would seek to do good to others and not harm. That we wouldn't simply give lip service, but that we would put our faith in action. And Lord, I pray that as we live in a world that will persecute us, a world that will ridicule us, may our confidence not be in our own might, but in you. May we know that you truly are our strength, our hope, and our salvation. Lord, I pray that anyone in this room that truly isn't in right standing with you, that you would do business with them, Lord. Draw them unto yourself. Soften hearts. And Lord, I pray as I pray each week that we would be changed, that when we leave this place, that we would be living out more fully who we are in Christ. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.